Thank you for listening to Three Strands Podcast. This series is a verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. We're looking at seven characteristics Paul highlights that will help us to take a deeper look at ourselves so we can evaluate and determine if we are living the life. So we're beginning a series uh, today where we're going to walk through the book of Philippians verse-by-verse. And it's one of my favorite books in the Bible to read, always has been ever since I began following Jesus. And... um, Evidently, my family must really like the book as well because my niece's husband, uh, he's not here today. I I was hoping he'd show up so I could pick on him, but uh, Chelsea Crawford's my niece. Her husband, Michael, loved the the book so much he even got a tattoo of one of the verses on his arm. Take a look at this. Look at that. He has actually tattooed a verse from the book of Philippians on his arm, and you can't tell, but his bicep is so big, or it's growing, he's got two L's in there instead of one like it's supposed to be here. I don't know if I'm seeing that wrong, but um, anyway, he must be working out because that one L is stretched out into two, but you're seeing, well, I've seen that like on Google and some people get tattoos misprinted, but that's my family, you know, and he got all spiritual and put it on there, but he has misspelled Philippians, so anyway, I thought that was hilarious. He shows it off. He's proud of it. He goes around pulling that sleeve up all the time. And most people don't even catch it, so it's not a big deal, but we caught it. Um, anyway, the book of Philippians is a, is a very practical book. It's only uh, four chapters long. And so we're going di- to kind of dive into those, and we're going to look at seven characteristics that are found in this book. And so what we've done is we've entitled this series, Living the Life, because the seven characteristics that we're going to discover are ways that we should be living our lives if we want to be making the most of the time that God has given us and having a maximum impact on the world around us. So that's kind of where the uh, title of the series comes from. It was about uh, two or three years ago, I think, Heather and I went Black Friday shopping at Walmart in Oneida because that's the only time to go uh, buy big stuff is Black Friday in our opinion. But we got this 4K Ultra HD TV. Okay, I didn't know what it was, still not very clear on what it is, I just know that sucker is clear, okay, whatever 4K Ultra HD is, is the real deal, and it is very, very impressive, because I only watch a few things on television anyway, I watch sports, and I watch the news every now and then, and I watch some, a couple of my favorite churches uh, on there, and that's really about it, but that thing is so clear that like when, you're, when I'm watching a Dodger game or a Kentucky game, you can actually see the beads of sweat running down the cheek or the face of those athletes. It, it's like you're right there in the front row at a sporting event. It just allows you to, to look and to listen with a lot more detail than I was used to. And, and it kind of takes you from the back row to the front row um, of the event. And it just kind of brings details into focus that maybe you haven't seen And so every flaw and every weakness is sort of magnified. That's what I hope, and that's what I'm praying will happen during this series. That you and I will take a look into the mirror. That we will take a deeper look at ourselves. And that as we dig into God's word together, we'll realize some weaknesses that we have. So maybe we can step it up a notch in some of these areas. But before we, we dig in, let me just give you a brief, uh, some brief, brief background on the book of Philippians. The author of the book of Philippians is Paul. Okay, he wrote a third of the New Testament. 
who before his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 was named Saul, right? So when he was Saul, if you remember, he used to spend his days arresting and persecuting Christians. He had them put to death, okay? Sort of a big deal. But God changed his heart, and not only that, he changed his name. He becomes a Christian and starts going by the name of Paul. And now, instead of seeking fame and fortune as he had been doing, uh, having this high position in the community, he starts preaching the gospel, the good news, and he ends up getting thrown in jail for it. But everywhere Paul went, he either started a riot or he started a revival, and sometimes he started both. In fact, the book, this book Philippians that we're looking at is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi while he was in a prison cell in Rome around 62 AD. So everything we're going to study these seven weeks, just remember, Paul's writing this from prison. So Paul's first visit to Philippi is recorded for us in, in Acts chapter 16. Paul and his buddy Silas planned on starting a church in Philippi, and they met this woman named Lydia who was a merchant. And they began sharing their faith with her. They told her about the resurrection, and she decides to commit her life to the Lord. She began following Jesus and was baptized along with her entire household that same day. Then later, on this same journey, Paul ends up casting out a demon from this fortune-telling slave girl. And you can read all about this in Acts chapter 16. But when he did that, the people who owned her were ticked off. And they were making a profit off of her, and so they were angry and had Paul thrown into prison. And it was there that Paul and Silas experienced an earthquake. Just kind of picture that going on. You're in prison, and there's an earthquake. It would be, um, for you older folks like me, it would be the first jailhouse rock, so to speak, okay? So they're in prison. The jailhouse begins to rock, and all the doors open up, but they decide not to run away. They stay there. And, was that not funny, jailhouse rock? That was a good one, Carson. I don't want to hear it, okay? But they decide to stay there, not run away, and they share their faith with this Philippian jailer, and that night he commits his life to Jesus as well. And they went to his house, and not only him, but the Bible says he and his entire household were baptized. And that was the beginning of this church at Philippi. Paul was kind of a church planner. I mean, he, he would help launch a church in one place, and then he would leave and go stir up spiritual interest in another place, and then he would start a church there. And so you read his letters throughout the New Testament. He's writing to the church at Corinth or Philippi or Ephesus, all these different places he would go and begin these churches. But the goal of the message today, just one chunk of this seven-part series, the goal of the message today, as you can tell by the song we just played, is Connection. The title today is Living a Life of Connection. That as a church, we should be all about connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Just simply loving God and loving people. So we're renting this house out in Pine Knot, and, we, and when we moved in a few months ago, we found this, this part of the wall. It's about two foot. It's a big old black chalkboard, and I uh, didn't know what it was at first, but... The kids will take chalk and write stuff on there and scribble words that are unintelligible. I don't know what they're, they put. Chase has his own little language. I thought it was Greek, but I don't know. It's like misikoi, you something. I don't know what it says. But anyway, I erase it, and I try to put something spiritual because I'm, you know, good godly father, right? And it gets messed up the next day, and they write something else stupid on there. But anyway, right now I walked out this morning, 
And it just says, love God, love people. And that's what we need to be about. It's really, life is really that simple. Just simply love God and love other people. And Paul was really connected to the Philippians. And, and by reading his letters, it reveals to us some important secrets to having a life of connection. So that's what I want to do this morning. I just want to share four secrets from verses 3 through 11 that Paul shares with us about how to have a life of connection. Okay, so let's jump right in. The first secret he shares from those verses is this. He says to join a small community of believers. If you want to feel connected, not feel like you're doing life alone, the first thing you got to do, he says, is join a small community of believers. When the church began, they met in the temple courts. But when persecution began, it was wiser for them to meet in homes. And so they began meeting in homes and became this tight-knit community where they just simply shared life together. We know this because of what Paul writes in, in verse 3 of Philippians 1. He says this, he says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. And each week I'm going to challenge us to memorize a verse that goes along with that week's topic. This is the verse I want us to learn this week, Philippians 1.3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. If you have friends like that in your life, who when you just thank them, you just say, thank you, God, for putting them in my life. You know, Paul felt that way about these uh, Philippians. That was Paul's way of communicating to them, hey, you're very, very important to me, and I love you. I really hope that you have some relationships like that in your life. You may be sitting there thinking, I'm good on this one. Or you may be sitting there thinking, you know what? I don't have anybody like that in my life. I really hope you do, or if not, today is, is kind of the spark plug that gets you going on seeking people out that you can do life with. Paul knew their names. I mean, he thought of and he prayed for them often. And you know, guys, God did not intend for us to live life isolated from other people. In Genesis, during the creation, if you remember, after each day of God's creating, he said, it is good. Remember that? He said, it's good. But after creating man, if you remember, he says, it's not good. He said, it's not good for what? For man to be alone. Not good for man to be alone. You know why? God put Adam in charge of all he could see. I mean, it was a beautiful place. No such thing as sin. This perfect relationship with God. And God says, it's not good. Why not? Well, we have to go back before the creation of Adam before we can understand that. I mean, God the Father says this. He says, let us, emphasis on us, make man in our, emphasis on our, own image. And that tells us right away that God exists in the state of eternal community with himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. You have some people say, well, that word's not in the Bible. No, it's not. But it's taught all throughout the New Testament. God the Father in the Old Testament. God the Son, the four Gospels. God the Holy Spirit, who he left us with from Acts to the end of Revelation. It's the Trinity. It's three in one. It's God in three different persons, same God. And how I try to explain this to students who ask me about it, or people, as the easiest way I know to explain it, is I'm Kenny, but I'm a son, I'm a father, 
and I'm a husband. Three different roles, but I'm the same person. And God's the same God, even though he's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or this crazy fad that is going on the last six months, I guess. You could explain it like this, I guess. The old fidget spinner. There you go. There's the Trinity for you right there. You like that? Yeah, I have no idea how those things got so popular, but they got popular, even though I haven't heard a whole lot about them this summer. But you got three, spin them around, there's God right there in the center. So maybe you can see it a little better with that image. But God created us with a deep need for companionship. That's how he wired you. You're hardwired to need companionship. Even if you're an introvert like me, you still can't do life alone. You need companionship. It's just the way God made us. And when Jesus, if you think about his ministry here on earth for those 33 years, what, what was the first thing he did? He found a group of people, his disciples, with whom he could share his life with, right? I mean, if anyone could have gone through life and accomplished his purpose alone, it would have been Jesus, right? But instead, he chose not to live in isolation. He chose a life of connection with a community of believers, and he wants us to do the same thing. He surrounds himself with a group of people who could later pass on the message to future generations. So guys, please hear me. If you think that you can live the Christian life all by yourself, you're wrong. You're just wrong. We need one another. It is a theme that appears in the scriptures repeatedly. And you know what? I dream of the day that one day that this church will have so many people in it, okay, that it is impossible to know everyone. I would love to see the day when we're putting seats all the way to the back or we have our own building and it's just in the time we're here, you, you can't get to know everyone. But even when that happens, it will be essential that you get to know someone. You don't have to know everyone, but you need to know someone. And that's the way we'll get bigger as a church, by getting smaller, if that makes sense. Well, let's look at verses 4 and 5. Paul said, Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. You notice the word partners there? I think I underlined it. No, I didn't. So, Notice the word partners there in verse 5. It means there's a fellowship. There's a close association. There's, there's joint participation here. Paul is a very different man now from when he was Saul. I mean, he'd been an antagonist, completely opposed to Christians, killing them. And now he looks at them and says, no, you guys are now my partners. We're together in this. And you know what? Maybe that's an accurate description of how you used to be. I don't know. I mean, perhaps you used to roll your eyes when you heard somebody talk about how God changed their life. Or you just couldn't understand the joy that some Christian had when they gave so generously of their finances. Or maybe you always saw the church as hypocritical. But now that you've connected with Jesus, you're a completely different person. Maybe that was you. I like what Christian comedian uh, Brad Stein said. He said that he's a Christian because that's the only religion that would have him. <laughs> that's what he said. That's the only one that will have me, you know. But you know what? Saul could have said the same thing, couldn't he? 
He could have said the same thing. I mean, after all I've done to oppose him, oppose Jesus, I cannot believe that he would have me and that he accepts me just as I am. And so I want to encourage you to join a small community of believers that can become an extended family for you. I mean, this is one of the reasons why our church exists. It's why we began it in the first place. We're a cord of strands that when doing life together is not easily broken, the scriptures say. That's our theme verse for our church. Where we base the name on Ecclesiastes 4.12. It says, a person standing alone, you can be attacked and you'll, you can be defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord. It's not easily broken. In other words, when we do life together, we're much, much stronger than when we try to do it alone. I used to illustrate this to uh, middle schoolers by taking a pencil. So you try to do life alone. Here's what happened. Snap it right in two. Then you take about 30 pencils and you say, now we're doing life together. Break that. And they sit there and struggle. They couldn't break it. You know? And it's so true about that verse. When we're doing life together, we're not going to be easily broken. Well, Paul goes on to share a second secret about his relationship with the Philippians. And that's to encourage one another. Not just join a small community of believers, but encourage one another. Have you ever been a part of a sports team or a club or even a church where people just continuously just tear one another down? Just discourage one another constantly. I mean, the truth is, our words can be so damaging. And I thought it was so important that uh, we did a month-long series back in March of this year entitled, May the Words of My Mouth, and taught four weeks on this very thing. And I would encourage you uh, to go back and listen to those four podcasts um, if you have time. But, but Paul encourages the Philippians. He doesn't discourage them. And you know what? They weren't perfect. It wasn't like they had it all together. I mean, he could have pointed out many, many flaws that they had. But instead, he chooses to tell them how confident he is that God is going to do something special through them. That's what he chooses to do. Instead of tear them down, he builds them up. Look at verse 6. He says, I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Maybe you've seen those t-shirts that say, or uh, bumper stickers that say, please be patient, God isn't finished with me yet. You seen those? That's what Paul was stressing to these Christians who were the minority where they lived. Paul's saying something that we need to understand as well, and that's this. That if you're going to live for Jesus, it's not going to be easy. It's going to, be, it's going to require a life of sacrifice. That's why he says in Romans 12:1, he says to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So make no mistake about it. The Christian life will involve being sold out. It will require sacrifice. I mean, th this isn't some cute little club that we join. where We just kind of occasionally show up and pick and choose whether or not we want to be involved, you know, weighed against some other choices that we may have in our lives that may be a little more entertaining, you know. It's not making a decision whether to come to church or not on Sunday mornings, you know. It's, it's, that's not what the church is. It's not what it's supposed to be. We need to connect to one another. And we need to be a source of encouragement to other believers. Nobody can fly solo in the Christian life. You just can't do it. 
No man is an island. Well, as some of you may have experienced in your life, going through a divorce is never easy. And uh, I remember during that season of my life uh, being told several times by family members or close friends or people that I went to church with, uh, they, they would say, I can't believe how strong you have been during this time. And I just kept thinking, I don't know what they're talking about. Because none of those people understood. They kept telling me I was strong. But they didn't understand that I didn't feel strong. I felt very weak. And I felt very broken. But what they didn't realize is that they were the ones that made me strong. They were the ones that kept me going through that time. It was through their encouragement, their prayers, and their time together with me that gave me that strength. And what was it that Solomon said in Proverbs 27, 17? Didn't he say, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another? That's a picture of what the church should be as we encourage one another. Just iron sharpening iron. Well, there's a third secret that Paul talks about in these verses, and that is express love to one another. Express love to one another. Admittingly, it's easier to show love and express affection to some people more than others. I get that. Uh, someone said, I read a quote, it said, to live above with ones we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the ones we know, well... That's a different story, right? Never felt like that. But listen, from Paul's perspective, Philippians 1, 7, and 8, he says this. He says, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news, the gospel. God knows how much I love you. And long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. And I'm going to repeat this often in the next few weeks. But I want us to remember where Paul is writing this from. Those words that we just read. He's writing them from prison. Can you imagine if you were in prison or if I was in prison? Writing words like that. He has every reason to be bitter. But his concern is not on himself. His concern is for everyone else. You know what I was just thinking? How would our lives change if every day we just got up and we prayed, Lord, would you place some people in my path today who, who need loved? Who is it that needs their spirit picked up today that you're going to put in my path? What is the divine appointment, Lord, that you have for me today? And we opened up our eyes and we began to look for opportunities you know, maybe they're people that we would never normally reach out to. But, but how hard is it to invite a neighbor or a co-worker or a relative just to come worship with us? You know, how hard is it to do that? Not very hard. But who is it that needs you to invite them here? Or who is it that needs you just to hand them a book? Or to uh, encourage them to listen to a podcast? Or just invite them out to eat and spend an hour with them this week? Who is it God has placed on your heart that you need to, to reach out to? When we do that, guys, we're communicating God's love to them. 
So just think about that and pray through that this week. Also, do that through serving. You know, I was, I was announcing the refuel conference that we go to every October, our church, but I was thinking about how they pull that off, you know? And what do you think people see from Thomas Road Baptist Church when we go there each fall in October? I mean, that church, they all jump in and simply serve one another to pull that conference off. There's thousands of people there. They have the love of Jesus. You know, I was thinking it's the same for those of you who serve here at our church. Whether you're teaching or leading in worship or crew or the food prep or working with children or the tech team, it's the same deal. I mean, what is our motive for doing all of that? Well, we love because God first loved us, right? Isn't that what the scriptures say? We love other people because God first loved us. That's it. And so many times we find out that when we're trying to be a blessing to someone else, what happens? We are the ones who end up getting blessed, right? That's how God works it out. Well, there's one final secret that I want to share with you uh, that Paul shares in these verses in his relationship with the Philippians to have a life of connection. And that's to study God's word together. Study God's word together. Look at verses 9 through 11. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. That's a reference to their study of the scriptures. Verse 10, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Guys, there is such an important value that comes from studying God's word together. And I want us to feast on this because when we begin studying God's word, it is contagious. It's contagious. You'll want more and more because you will realize that it's God's truth for our life. I don't have to listen to what everybody around me is saying or what the television is saying. I can just dig into God's word and get truth for my life. And nowadays with modern technology, there is so many good there are so many good tools out there to do that. Whether it's right now media or the podcast or, or study Bibles you can purchase. Um, there's so much out there that we have access to. We have plenty of options. But look at verse eleven. It, it says, filled with the fruit of, of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Guys, that's the connection that's got to be made. I mean, some people are just living their lives powerless because they're unplugged. They're not plugged into their energy source. Some of us living defeated because we're not letting God be God in our lives. And we spend every day full of worry because we're not letting God take care of the things he promised he would take care of. Several years ago, you may remember quarterback uh, Michael Vick, who then he played for the Atlanta Falcons, but he went to prison for illegal dogfighting. Remember that? But at his press conference, before his plea agreement, uh, this is what he said. He's quoted as saying, Through this situation, I found Jesus and asked him for forgiveness and turned my life over to God. Now, the Atlanta Constitution newspaper uh, interviewed Mark Early, who leads Prison Fellowship, to get his take on Michael Vick's so-called conversion, because, you know, he sees a whole lot of people, uh, when they go to prison, they always, he says, they'll make a, a lot of people make some type of conversion, and he sees so many people do that, so he was very honest when they interviewed him, and he just said this, he said, well, to gauge whether someone's conversion is authentic, 
you have to look for several things. He said you have to look for humility. You have to look for movement from a me-centered life to an others-centered life. You have to look at involvement in a local church and a willingness to be accountable to other people. You know, that's kind of what Jesus says in John 15, 5. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, you're going to produce fruit. So here's my favorite verse in the Bible. He says, but apart from me, you can't do a thing. You can do nothing apart from me. It's, it's like the cell phone whose battery's dead and it's not plugged in. It's just, we're dead. You know what? I hope Michael Vick made a connection to Jesus. But in order for that kind of commitment to stick, we all need to connect with others as well. You and I, we need a group of Christian brothers and sisters that we can walk beside and they can walk beside us to point us to the narrow path the Bible talks about. That can support us when we need support. That can encourage you when you need encourage. And that they can love us through the challenges that come when we make poor life choices at times. And for those of you who are skeptical, if God can't save a Michael Vick or a Ted Bundy or, listen, a Christian killing Saul and change their life, then listen, he can't save me and he can't save you either. Because deep down, we're all crooked. Let's just own it. We're sinful to the core and Jesus is the only hope that we have. And the truth of this message is that we all need others. But more importantly than that, we all need Jesus. Right? So as we close this morning, there are a lot of different decisions that you can make today. For some of you, maybe you've been coming to this church for a while now, and, and you've been kind of on the sidelines and never really gotten involved with a small group or just simply other people to do life with together. So maybe for you today, you need to commit to getting plugged in with a group of men or a group of women here at church and just pull somebody aside who God has placed on your heart and say, you know what, could, could we just get together this week sometime? And just ask them. Maybe for you, you just need to begin studying the Bible and allow God to speak to you through his written word. Or begin a right now media Bible study. There's tons of good Bible studies on there. Maybe for you, it's finding a coworker this week and asking, hey, could we get together and just, and just pray in the mornings before work for just a few minutes each day together? Could we do that? Or maybe for you, it's just simply getting an accountability partner, somebody you can trust of the same gender just to share life together and talk about what's going on in your life and begin to build relationships with other people. And then maybe there are others of you who've been coming to this church and you're thinking, okay, it's time for me to connect with three strands. I believe the Bible. I want to be part of this church family. And so maybe you're willing to become a member here today. I don't know what God's laying on your heart this morning, but maybe for some of you, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. And that's that you've never connected with the one that matters most, and that's Jesus. Maybe you've never turned your life over to him. You're not a branch on the vine that we read about a few minutes ago in John 15, verse 5. You've never swallowed your pride and said, Jesus, I turn it over to you. And so maybe for you today, today is your day of salvation. 
But whatever your decision today is, I want to challenge all of you to get connected. And if you need to talk with someone about that uh, here in a few minutes when we're done, just look around the room. There are several people who would love to have that conversation with you. And so as this last song plays, I want you to to hear the, the main verse there, which says this. It's what we talked about today with living a life of connection. It says, no man is an island. We can be found. No man is an island. Let your guard down. You don't have to fight me. I'm for you, Paul says. Not against you, I'm for you. We're not meant to live this life alone.